Well, good evening. Grab your Bibles, if you don't mind. <clears throat> First Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> First Kings 17. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that wherever we're at with our journey with you, um, that tonight would be a breakthrough. And for those who love you, that it's a reminder, an incredible reminder that actually causes us to go even deeper with you, to go further with you because of our trust in you. And that God, for those who just, they're just in the midst of this trial or this crisis that is just keeping them from really being able to believe you and really able to trust you. God, I pray that maybe tonight you give them a different perspective on why you allow certain things to happen and other things not and why it seems like at certain times you step in and other times you don't. And Jesus, I pray that you would give us an ability to trust the heart of the Father in order that we would obey the will of the Father. So God, and then everyone in between, wherever we're at, I pray that you would just meet us and thank you that you desire to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. In chapter 17, verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel is before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, uh, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the book, or from the book, that would be weird, and from the brook, and I've, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, let's be honest. God says, I want you to take off, and you're like, well, what about food? You're going to be able to drink out of the brook, not the book, but out of the brook, and I've, com now here, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. How many of you, be, be honest, don't do this, oh, I would be great with it. How many would be a little bit nervous with obeying God with that one? Hey, don't worry about it. Well, where I'll get food? Ravens will fly down, and they'll just land and drop food for you, and then they'll take off. I mean, the ravens will take care of, guys, I'm be honest, if you're sitting there going, ravens? I've never seen birds deliver food. I've seen birds take away food. I remember we were walking at the zoo, I think it was my wife's hot dog, we were just walking along, and all of a sudden, this bird comes flying from behind, launches down, grabs just the meat of the hot dog, and takes off. And I go, dang! And I sit there going, dang, Jesus, you got such a great sense of humor. It's not like this, though. It's not like all of a sudden Elijah has its food and the ravens take it. It's so different when all of a sudden the ravens, they have food, they drop it, and then they take off. Now, that's the part I have a hard time with. He said, they go, well, that's why I don't believe the Bible. No, it's not. That's not a reason. That's an excuse. There's two different things, okay? Verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. He said, they go, God doesn't do that anymore. Let me ask you a question. This might hurt just a tad. Is it that he doesn't do it anymore or that you're not obedient enough to do the things that he's asked you to do so that you could actually see God do those things? So don't be sitting there automatically going after God going, why don't you do it? Because isn't, isn't this how we want it to be? God will do a couple steps, then we'll take a couple steps of faith. That's not faith. We want him to prove it first and then we'll do it. But a lot of times we blame God and say, God, why don't you do the things that are like this anymore? Why don't you, quote, unquote, provide miraculous? And maybe the whole time God is sitting there going, I love to do that, but you don't move. 
And guys, when we don't move, we can't blame God that God doesn't come through. For some of you, you are in the front row of seeing the, the miraculous provision of God so very often. Why? Because you're willing to do the things that seem so uncomfortable, that seem so out of the ordinary, that seems like, if I do this, this doesn't make good common sense. But you're in the front row seat of the miraculous, aren't you? Because you're willing to trust God in the mundane things. Guys, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. If God is calling you to do something, he will see us, see all of us through it and provide what is ever necessary to get us to do what it is that God has asked us to do. But God, guys, well, do you think God will ever ask you anything that just makes you uncomfortable? This is, I, I use this often, so if you've heard it, just pretend you haven't, but I don't like when, I feel like God has a hobby, and it's to freak us out, just to freak us out. It's like he and the cherubim and seraphim are sitting in heaven, and the father's like, watch this. Watch Brian. We, they're like, we always do because he's such a wuss. I'm just like, watch Brian. Guys, I remember I was having lunch with my buddy at this place called Rubio's, and um, this was a few years ago, and we finished, but well, before we finished, about 10 minutes before we finished, this thought came to my mind. I saw this young lady. She's like 22, 23. She goes walking by, and this thought pops in my mind. says, go tell her that she's loved. Now, I don't have that thought pop in my mind every time someone wants, go tell them to love, go tell them. I don't have that happen. It's not like I'm, I'm not losing my mind. But it's just, it hit me. Go tell her that she's loved. I'm sitting there going, no, because that just sounds like some cheesy, horrible, wannabe Christian pickup line. I'm like, guys, I'm married to a woman who loves Jesus who's fantastic to look at, so I don't really need to be throwing some kind of thing out there. I'm like, God, no, send some guy that can't get a date. Send him, because this is the perfect opportunity for him to just swoop in, and maybe, oh, this is like the perfect little movie opportunity. They'll fall in love. They can, they can give me all the credit because I was disobedient to God. I figured that would be perfect. And so my friend, he's talk, I don't even know what he's talking about because I'm not even listening. I'm having this argument in my head. Go tell her she's loved. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That sounds stupid. No, no. No, I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And all of a sudden, we start throwing away, throwing away our stuff. He goes, hey, you're done. I'm done. We start walking out. I'm almost to the door. He goes before me. I get to the door and I can't leave. And it's not because God went, spam. Oh, no, you know, oh, I want to go. I want to go. This is illegal. It wasn't like that, okay? But I just knew when I got to the door, you have to do this. I'm like, I don't want to do this. You ever felt like that? Isn't it great to know that your camp speaker does the same thing you do? I'm sitting there arguing with God the whole time. So I'm standing at the door, I'm holding it open. Guy, my buddy's in front of me. He turns around, he's like six feet in front of me, he turns around and goes, you got to go do something for Jesus right now, don't you? I'm like, yeah, come with me. He goes, nope. And he walks off. I'm like, you're dead to me. Until I call you later and tell you what happened. But no, 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 come on. This is biblical. Two by two, you should come with me. No, no, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm late. He takes off. Guys, he gets in his car. As he's driving away, he's waving at me. So here it is. Okay, just picture. So you're the restaurant. I'm at the doors, and I just, I'm just standing there. I have no clue if any of you are trying to leave, and I don't care. I'm just sitting there going, God, don't make me do it. Don't make me do it. And then it's like, do it. I just turned around, and I had this look like. <laughs> now imagine you're just trying to have a fish taco, and here's this six-foot-five, 200-and-something-pound bald dude at the door going, <laughs> So 
So I'm like, oh. And you ever just had that argument with yourself where you're trying to convince yourself, okay, on the count of three, I'm going to do it. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> the number turns into the thousands. You've had a birthday. I mean, it's just gone on for way, for way too long. And so I'm like, okay, this is it. This is it. And so I start walking toward the table where she is. And as I get closer, I realize there are two of them. Her and her friend. And like, this is when I'm thinking of my, the friend that's dead to me. I'm sitting there going, this is the two-by-two two part, you jerk. <laughs> and so I'm serious. I'm like, God, please. Go tell her she's loved. Ah. So just picture this at the table. We're having a nice little lunch together. Everything's great. Then all of a sudden, this massive mammoth sweaty man shows up. <laughs> And I don't know why, I don't know why I just didn't look at him and talk, but all of a sudden I put my hands on the table and then I leaned up. So <laughs> they both had this look like, it's over. This is how we're gonna die. So I just, and that's all he said. I was like, oh, I don't know if this makes sense. I'm not even looking, I'm looking straight at the table. It's like I'm having this monologue love conversation with the table. I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm supposed to tell you that you're loved. Dude, you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Not a flippant thing. I mean, nothing. I pictured in my mind, if I was like, hey, I'm supposed to tell you you're loved. And all of a sudden, she's like, I just prayed this morning that someone would tell me that I'm loved. And you did. That means you know Jesus. Lead me to salvation. I was expecting something, not this look of. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you do after that? No one's talking, no one says thank you, it's nice to hear that often. They're just staring at me and I can feel it, it's burning holes into the side of my skull and I'm just sitting there and this is all, that's how I ended the conversation. Well, see you later. And then I just walk out. That's all I did. No life was changed, nothing. From this side, from my perspective, nothing happened. And I get in the car, and by faith, this is all I heard. Just checking. <laughs> like, wait, you're just checking? Like, I just wanted to see if you would do it. And I'm like, okay, that sucks. <laughs> like, I want some end result. Like, I want all of Rubio's, every person going, I want to know Jesus. Yeah, you do, because you're loved, and you're loved, and you're loved, and you're loved. I just wanted to go crazy. Nothing, nothing happened. You thought it'd be that one of those six stories where all of a sudden everyone got saved and I got free lunch. I mean, that's what you were picturing, huh? Nothing. Just checking. Guys, I'm convinced I cannot trust the will of God unless I trust the heart of God. It is impossible for me to trust and obey the will of God if I do not trust the heart of God. That's why having, that's why it's so important to have such a right view. I think Rich was saying it right before worship. To have a proper right view of God. Guys, the, 
The greatest thing that we could do is to just spend time alone with God so we have a proper view and proper perspective of who he is because then we'll make decisions based on the reality of God and not some quote-unquote idol that we've set up that makes us a little bit more comfortable so that we can do what we want. Guys, we have to spend time in the book, and as long as you keep looking at this book, oh, it's a thick book, and there's a lot of stuff that I don't understand, so why spend time? Or Brian, I don't like to read. Guys, you like, you like to read enough that you'll read all the messages and all the text messages that come to you. I've never seen one of you all of a sudden get one of those text messages you've been waiting for. Oh my gosh, this is so great. Hey, mom, can you read this? Because I hate to read. <laughs> never seen that. When it's from someone that you actually care about and you're just like, oh, I just, I mean, your friendship is so deep. Every message that comes in, you are replying just as quick as you can. There's no, you can't pause. You have to keep going because it's relationship. No, no one has ever written us a book so that we might know his heart. Think about it. God says, I want you to know me so well that I want you to just spend time in this. And the more you spend time in this, the more you get to know God. You don't spend time in this so you can win it, heaven's version of trivia pursuit. You spend time in this to spend time with Jesus. It is hard. I'll change this. I think it's impossible to trust and obey the will of God if you do not trust the heart of God. Because when he asks us to do the things that makes no sense, we do it, why? Because we trust him. We trust him. So then all of a sudden, the water dries up, right? We think, oh, he's going to die. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Z-town, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. That seems a little pushy. He has nothing. Now, here's the part that blows my mind. God commands a widow who in that culture would hardly have anything. Her husband has passed away, so she's probably living in poverty, and God calls her to provide for Elijah. Elijah, think about it. He's just sat around, and he's had ravens feeding him. There's water to drink. He says, okay, it's all gone. I've commanded a person who is in such poverty to come and to help you. So she's gathering sticks, and he just looks at her and says, hey, bring me some water. Seems a little rude. Verse 11, and as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. I'm like, Elijah, say please. I mean, even a little tears, please, please, please. But he's just like, I need some water, and I need some bread. Maybe it's because he used to tell the birds what to do. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord your God lives. Notice she, notice she doesn't say my God. Doesn't say, she doesn't say it's personal for me. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now catch this. Does this not sound hopeless? And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Woo. Debbie Downer right there. You feel like that sometimes? Isn't that hopelessness at its worst? I mean, all she's trying to do is survive. All she's trying to do is take care of her son. 
And so she finds she has a little bit of flour left and a little bit of oil left and she has some water and she's thinking, okay, I'm telling you, Elijah, you're asking for all of this before I take care of my own. Can I tell you what my day entails? My day is this. I'm going home to take the little bit of flour left to bake some kind of bread so that my son and I can eat and then we can die. And you have the nerve to ask for food and water. But as surely as the Lord your God lives, this is what's going to happen. This is, how, this is how we're ending it. Now watch Elijah. You'd think he, it just doesn't seem like the most compassionate. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake. And I'm like, what? Where are your social graces? I mean, what is wrong with you? Or is this all part of what God is telling him to do? Guys, it's not really faith to give out of our extra, is it? I mean, think about it. We're willing to give so long as we have extra left over. But to give of our firsts that we might go without, is that not faith? That if God says, I want you to provide for the needs of this person, but, but God, I'm needy. Like, I'm hurting, and all of a sudden God goes, I'll take care of that, but you are the answer here. Guys, did you wake up this morning and think of this? That today you might be God's answer to someone else's prayer. I mean, do you wake up ever? I mean, maybe not, well, you can still do it at Hume, but I'm talking about anywhere. Like, when you wake up every day, do you sit there and go, God, are you going to use me in such a way that someone is praying, someone's in need, do I get to be your answer? Because how often is God using people in order to, what, answer the requests of those who are in need? So he says, first, hey I, hey, I know your kid's hungry, and I know you're hungry, but if I could get mine first, that'd be fantastic. And afterward, catch this, and afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Can you imagine sitting there going, if I make something for you first, there'll be nothing left for us. But does Elijah seem like he's worried about it? No. Why? Because he trusts God. Guys, I'm convinced that he can say these kind of things because he's not worried about what's coming next. That he can say, hey, make me something first. And I'm telling you, afterwards, you can make yourself as much as you want. Why? Because I just saw my God feed me with ravens. I mean, I'm sitting there going, where's my food coming from? The raven comes flying down. Can you, have, can you imagine her reaction as he's trying to tell the story? In her mind, she's sitting there going, why didn't you cook the raven? I'm telling you, ravens fed me. What? I don't know that I believe that. I'm telling you, they brought the food every morning, every evening. I drank from the water that was around me. God provided. I'm telling you, if God can provide for me in this way, and you're sitting there going, I don't have enough flour, the God who could feed me with the birds can multiply your flour. God can do whatever he wants. You see, when you really trust that God is able to do anything and everything he wants to do, do you really, I mean, think about it. We're, we're able to do that verse where he talks about in Philippians chapter four. Here's Paul saying, do not be anxious about anything. Guys, do you know what fits in anything? Everything. Now let's do show of hands. How many, how many you have a hard time with that? Because you worry pretty well. You got a PhD in worry. Like you could teach a seminar, you want to worry? I'm your, I'm your person. 
You've never worried before? You'll, you'll, have, a heart, you'll have a heart attack when you're done with me. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. And here comes God. Think about it. And guys, it's written in the imperative form, which means this. It's a command of God, just like when God says, thou shalt not murder. He's saying, do not be anxious. I said, and go, what? But when I can trust the heart of God, then maybe anxiety doesn't become my God, but God remains where he is. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Before he even answers it, thank him for the fact that he will. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. There's the promise. That word will, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's going to take care of his own I always like using my boys as an example for messages because, well, I have a mic. And so it's fun because when they were little, I didn't want them to freak out about anything. And even today, I don't want them to freak out about anything. I don't, I don't want them to worry about the, where's the food coming from or what's the, how are we paying for the bills or are we making enough money. Or, I don't want them to worry about anything. You don't want them to know, hey, dad's got this. I got this. And when they, would, when they would run or skin their knee or whatever, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm the first one out. So I come running out. And I pick them up, and all of a sudden, they're like, no, I want mom. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> mom comes out. She does the whole mom thing. But if mom's not home, I take care of it. Or if they get freaked out by something, or they, when they were little, they got freaked out by something, they come running. I just grab them, and, I, and when they put their hands up, think about it. Guys, you, some of you, when you're worshiping, you put your hands up, and it's not a prerequisite. It's not like, oh, wow, look at the ones who have their hands up. They must be closer to Jesus. doesn't mean that, but maybe they just have this thing where they understand, why do little ones put their hands up when they're by their parents? It could be, hey, I want to see better. Pick me up. I can't see. All these big people are in my way. <laughs> or pick me up. Why? I love you. Or pick me up, I'm scared. Or pick me up, I'm hurting. That's all this is. So I say that I'm the one watching them and skin their knee and they're crying and I pick them up and they're like, that's all I would do. It's like, shh, can you hear me? And it wasn't like, I see dead people. <laughs> it wasn't like, can you hear me, little boy? <laughs> <laughs> Mom's not here. Okay, it wasn't like that. No, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why they never came to me. No, okay. But it was just, I would just sit there just holding. I was like, shh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And I would, I would start to whisper. I'd start to whisper. Why? Because they're all getting crazy. Why? Because they were fine until they saw the blood. You ever notice little ones? It's like they could just be dragged around by the dog on cement, naked. And so as they're doing that, they stand up and you're sitting there going, you're, you're so strong. And you see this cut on their knee. You're like, don't look down. Because they're like, huh, well, that was kind of fun. <laughs> and they just lose it. Okay, so they're losing. I'm just holding them. Going, Shh, can you hear me? Shh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And all of a sudden they start nodding. And then they do that weird orangutan kind of like cry. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, oh, oh. 
Come on, you do it, you do it too. Maybe not recently when you're little. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> I don't even know what the point was. Okay, but we'll figure it out. So they just start freaking. So they get, they get more calm, more calm, more calm, more calm. <laughs> Why are we jumping around? <laughs> Let me get quiet again. <laughs> Can you, can you hear? Yeah. Are you good? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. You ready? Yeah. And just put them down, turn them around, pat their diaper butt, and say, go play. Okay. And then they take off. Ready to take on the world. And every time they get freaked out, why? Because things just happen. I'll take care of it. And they get freaked out by something, or scared about something, and they get hurt. I'll take care of it. It doesn't mean I can stop every single thing that happens. But think about it. For those who have gone through the trial, haven't you learned more from the trial than the times of comfort? You go through the comfortable times, you always forget to talk to God. But isn't it crazy when we go through the trial how quick we are to talk to him? Could it be that God allows some things to go, through, go on in our lives? And guys, we have no clue how much he has stopped. But is it possible that maybe God is allowing some things to come that hit us hard? Why? For the purpose that we would be intimately in love with him. That he wants our hearts and not just our conduct. He wants relationship and not just keep the morals. He wants us. And he'll do whatever is necessary that he is the priority in our life. And it is the most loving thing that he can do. Why? Because he is the greatest good. And for God not to point us to the greatest good is selfish. For God not to do anything that is necessary that we would focus our eyes on Jesus is selfish of God. And God is not selfish, but selfless. So he will do whatever it takes that we will be intimately and madly in love with him. So here's this woman again. We go back to her say, okay, this is what's going to happen. He says, okay, this is what's going to just cook mine first, make it for me first, and I'm telling you, you're going to have plenty. Why could he say that? Because he just told her the story. I've seen birds feed me. God can do whatever he wants. Don't you think that maybe in Elijah's mind he's sitting there going, birds are going to show up for us too? When you've seen it happen, you, you're excited to see it again, Right? Verse 14, or is that where it was at? Oh, no, verse 15. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. And we sit there and go, yay, God, you did it. And it'd be one thing if he stopped the chapter there. But all of a sudden, verse 17 kicks in. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my son to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. You ever notice how quick we are? Either we go after the messenger of God or we go after God himself. That when something 
When something horrific happens, and guys, please understand my heart, I'm not downplaying what you're going through. Guys, we all will face things. It's called trial, and it's called life. Jesus never said that it would be easy. In fact, he's the one who told his disciples, and they're supposed to pass it on to us, and we pass it on those following after us. Hey, in this world, you will have trial, but be of good cheer, be encouraged, I've overcome it. But it's gonna get tough. There are just things that happen, because we're in a broken world. And wouldn't it be so much easier to just look at God and say, God, just get rid of all the jacked up people. Then he'd have to get rid of all of us. Because I, I, I say this to my, the ministry I get to lead every week, guys, I have two words to try to encourage them every week. And here it is. I want to encourage you. You suck. You're like, huh? No, you know why that's so great? Because now you don't have to put on the facade anymore. We're all broken, we're all needing healing, we're all screwed up, we got these weird jacked up motives, and then we surrender to Christ, and his job is to change us over time, over the rest of our lives, to look so much like him. Isn't it just a lot nicer to wake up going, gosh, I'm just as jacked up as the person next to me? And they are too, and we all get it. It's like freedom. I'm not trying to impress you. You're not trying to impress me. We're just messed up. But don't we respond the same way? When something happens, we think, God, you don't care. Or where are you? But we're afraid to say it. Why? Because we've learned to be polite when we pray rather than honest. And we think that polite is what God applauds. Rather than what, a broken and contrite heart, this is what God applauds. Like, what is it he that he wants? He wants us honest. And so she just lets, he, she lets Elijah have it. I'll be honest, I would too. Wait, wait, so I see God provide. Now there's this hope and my son dies. Yeah, God and I would have some words. I would. And I don't think he's afraid of me but I might feel a little better when I'm done. It's like, why give me the hope if the junk's gonna happen? Maybe God gives us the hope even though he knows the junk's gonna happen. So when the junk happens, we have hope. Could it be that? I gotta show you that I can do the impossible. I have to show you that you will see me come through because the next time you face something that is so hard, go back to what it is that God had done before so you will see his faithfulness. And as long as we keep saying, yeah, but... Friends, you have to realize anything that God does on our behalf is his mercy, not our right. Our right is hell, period. Anything that God does for our good, which is so much, it would blow our minds if we got to see heaven's perspective on video of how God has intervened and how God has stepped in and how God has provided and what God has done. It would blow our minds and all that's based upon his mercy. But I get her. I understand this. Now watch. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Guys, does that sound like a statement of faith? No. 
Doesn't it kind of sound like he's saying the same thing she is? It's like, really? You bring this whole thing of hope, the people I'm staying with, so that while I'm here, her son dies? Then watch what he does. Then he stretched, this is just weird. Then he stretched himself upon the child three times. Don't sit there and go, makes sense. I've never seen that. If my kids need a band-aid, I don't go, lay down. <laughs> never done that. I don't see doctors do that in a hospital. It's okay. It's okay. I got this. <laughs> never seen it. Never seen it. I don't even know where he got the idea. But he's like, well, we're going to try it. Why not? I don't even know if this is going to work. It's like four-year-olds who are trying to fix each other's boo-boos. It's like, oh, I just skinned my knee. Okay, get a stick. Get a stick and bring the dog bowl of water over. You just poke it. That'll be it. It's like, it's like you're just guessing, right? You're just trying to figure it out. That's good. I'm going to write that one down. Okay. Verse 22, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber in the house and delivered him to his mother. Guys, if there's ever a, if there's ever a time to just kind of drop the mic, this is it. Remember, she just laid into him. Seriously? This is what happens, hope, and then my son dies. Really? Elijah goes up, does the whole weird thing, comes down, goes, boom, there's your son, and then walks off. (laughs) This is the time. Nope, just comes down. Now watch her reaction. Verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know. Stop. What did she say before? Okay, your God, I know your God, I know your God can provide, but now I know. But I know. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God in your mouth is true. So I go, well, so what? Guys, I don't think she would have ever come to that conclusion if the crisis didn't happen. If God didn't allow the crisis to happen, would she have come away with this understanding that, okay, what you're saying is true. I've seen it for myself because my son was dead and now he's alive and you have this power. Like when you say things, it happens. And it was cool to see, okay, the flower kept expanding and we got more of it. But when my son dies and then you step in, okay, my mind has been changed. I know that you're a man of God and I know that your word is truth. So could it be that for some of you, not for all, don't picture this, okay, reach outfits. I don't know what it is. But is it possible that what you're going through has you on the cusps of you declaring the same thing. Okay, I had heard of all these things about God, but now I see it for myself, and I know that it's true. You ever notice you don't need the miraculous unless there's a crisis? 
And yet all of us want to see the miraculous. And then when all of a sudden the crisis happens, we ask God to take it away. God's sitting there going, the crisis ushers in the miraculous. Ah, but it's uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to suffer. Is it possible? What if? What if the trial of crisis that you're facing is actually an opportunity for God to leave you speechless? What if that junk that you're going through right now is an opportunity for God to leave you, for God to leave me speechless? Because all she could say is, for I know. I've seen it. It's blowing my mind because he was dead and now he's alive that you must be a man of God and what you say is truth. And that for some of you, God is trying to get you to understand that what he says is truth. So could it be that the thing that you're going through, and again, I'm not saying it everything. I don't know the purpose behind it. I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, you're facing the junk, and so therefore it must, you must have sin in your life. And you confess it, and then it'll go away. Could it be that God has you on the cusp of seeing something that you have never seen and noticing something about him that you have never noticed as he reveals more and more of himself to you? Is it at least possible? You sit there and go, it's still, it's still not fair. Friends, fair ended in the garden. You don't want God to be fair. You want him to be gracious. You want grace, not fair. But think about all the times when you look at Jesus. Remember the person with leprosy who just comes up and makes this statement, if Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And if you look at that passage, it is so amazing the order of which Jesus does it. Because here's the problem. If you have leprosy in that day, you're unclean. And if anyone touches you, then you're considered unclean. And so everyone stayed away. You don't high five. You don't knuckle bump. You don't do the safe Christian side hug or the safe front hug. You don't do anything. You leave them alone. And then you actually, you actually look at them and say, you are cursed by God because there must be sin in your life. That's the ideology of that day. But Jesus has this massive crowd around him and the leprous man comes making his way through. He doesn't ask, he doesn't ask a question. He doesn't beg and plead. He just makes a, stimp, a simple statement of faith. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It says that Jesus touched the man, then healed him. What's the problem with that? Jesus made himself unclean and he didn't care. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus knew that the man probably didn't need to be healed in that moment. He probably wasn't going to die. But in that moment, he needed to be touched. Because for so long, he hadn't been. And the man was healed instantly. And do you think that that man looked, then looked up at Jesus and said, Yeah, but how come I got sick? Or is it possible that he had a different perspective of God? He had a different perspective of Jesus because God allowed it to happen. And he, think about it, he experienced the touch and the miraculous work of God and he never would have if he hadn't gone through the pain. The one with the flow of blood, 12-year problem, same thing. Jairus loses his kid. She's a 12-year-old who dies. And Jesus brings her back from the dead. And it doesn't say that then Jairus goes, but how dare you let something negative happen to my kid? 
I can guarantee you Jairus in that moment became a believer. When you look over and over and over and over where God steps in and does the miraculous, you don't see a whole lot of people say, yeah, but how come you let it? They all just seem to be pretty excited that they were touched by God. Guys, it is so difficult to trust and obey the will of God if you do not trust the heart of God. And the heart of God is this. Our God, who is our Father, when Jesus taught his disciples to, say, to pray, and he said, our Father, that word Father in the Aramaic, and when he, what he was saying to his disciples would be spoken in Aramaic, it's the word Abba. The word Abba is the most personal term that you can get from a kid to dad. It's what a one-and-a-half-year-old calls dad. It's not Father. It's not Father, may I speak with thee. It's Papa, Dada. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, Papa, tell, call him Papa. And hallowed that you are, my, you are my daddy who is holy. And you measure the universe with the span of your hand. And you cup the waters of the earth in the hollow of your hand. You can take the mountains and place them in a scale and weigh them. You know, when I sit, when I rise, you know every thought that I have before I think it, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. That we have a father who is is absolutely wild and crazy about us. And if you want proof, you look at the cross. You look at the cross, and that proves. Think about it. Guys, that is the ultimate, constant evidence and proof of the love of God. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. His favor was on you before he said, let there be light. He said, let them be mine. Before you could do good or bad, he says, I want them. And you have this whole book that tells this history of how things were broken and then how he came to fix it. Why? Because that's what dads are supposed to do. We're just supposed to fix it. Because it's impossible to trust and obey the will of God if you do not trust the heart of God. But the thing that you're facing, is it possible that the crisis of the trial that you were facing is God's opportunity to leave you speechless? Is it possible? Is it possible that it is the most loving thing that he could do? Hard to swallow? I get it. Oh, but at least can you sit there and go, I see the possibility. As hard as it is, and I know that this still sucks, and I hate it, and it's so hard. Oh, but when he does the miraculous, I doubt that you'll remind him of the pain. In fact, you might say, God, I don't want to do that again, but I would never trade it because I never knew that about you. Can I pray for you? Is that all right? Jesus, I want to thank you for our time. <clears throat> Excuse me. God, like I always pray, if there's anything that I've said that is not of you, I ask for your forgiveness, but I pray you'd give us all spiritual amnesia before I say amen. 
of those things and everything that is of you. Holy Spirit, don't let us forget it. God, for those who are just going through it, they're getting hit by something. Jesus, I pray. It was just so cool. I just heard this phrase when Rachel was sharing, I think it was yesterday. Choose to be faithful. Just choose to be faithful. It was just in this long sense she was going through, but just choose to be faithful. It just, it just struck me. God, I pray that all of us in this room would choose to be faithful as we wait to see your faithfulness. God, I don't need to ask you to be faithful because you are. I don't have to ask you to be with us because you are. I don't have to ask you to work because you do. And in reality, you already have. But God, enable us and help us to choose to be faithful as we wait for your faithfulness, as we wait to see the fruition of it. And so Holy Spirit, do what you do. Comfort, convict, encourage, whatever's necessary. But God, thank you that you care so deeply about us that you'll do whatever it takes to draw us into an intimate relationship with you because you want our heart, not just our behavior. God, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says amen. Love you all more than you know. <laughs>